Welcome to the Church of Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. Well, how's everyone doing today? Doing good? Beautiful day out there. Gorgeous. Uh, Hey, uh, before we go into our time of teaching, I want to just give you an update on one thing. I shared this at Encounter a couple weeks ago, but I know a lot of you weren't able to be there. But um, one of the things I, I shared as we kind of cast vision for this new year is what, one of the challenges that we're facing, and it's a great challenge to have, but uh, we're, a challenge, we're, we're really growing as a church. You probably noticed that this service, it's getting pretty full. And so um, it, it's really becoming uh, kind of an issue. Uh, the, uh, our, our children's classes, for example, if you have a child in the fourth and fifth grade, we call it Cliffside, uh, they, they often have over 50 children in, that, in, in one of their services. And so we're having to blow out a wall in there uh, to, to create more space. In our younger children's classes right now, uh, that we're actually having to, to divide kids up into smaller age ranges just to reduce the census. Um, of course, the problem is every time you do that, you need another room to put them, and we're running out of rooms to put them. And so, and then you notice here at the, like this service, you can see we're getting pretty full. We're getting uh, close to capacity. And so I share it for a couple reasons. One, just be praying for us because uh, as an elders uh, board and all, we're just kind of seeking God, what he wants us to do. Uh, if you continue to bring people, it's just exciting to see the people that God's bringing. We had another Next Step dessert last night. Uh, there was uh, uh, 20 new people there. Most of them have, only, have come either, uh, uh, there was, most had come either in December or, uh, or January. Three people had never been to church. They just, they just heard about it, just wanted to come, and just like got the buzz, you know, going, and they just want to see what's going on here. And, and so uh, it's exciting times. And so uh, be praying for us just for wisdom on what to do with that. Uh, but the, uh, the other thing is, is that next, I want to be with you, next week, just start kind of our first step towards meeting the need is we're pulling out the stage here in the front, the black stage. And so it's going to create room for about three more rows in the front. And so about 150 more people. And so um, just when you come in, it'll look a little different next week. And so I just want to do, I know how some of you are, like, you know, like, <laughs> Like, like someone's in my seat, you know, like the feng shui is not quite right. Like he's standing far back. What happened? And, and so you won't be listening to what we're saying because you're going to figure out like what's going on in this room. And so, so I'll give you a heads up. All right. So we're going to go into our time of teaching now. If you're um, new here, I do want to welcome you. My name's Mike. I'm the lead pastor. And inside your program is a, a message note sheet that we use every week for our time of teaching. And so if you take that out, uh, we're going to get started assuming you're ready to go. Everyone ready to go? Let's, uh, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for what you're doing at our church. And God, this is just an important day. I mean, we're, we're coming to the end of a whole series that we've been in from last spring, a, a series about this freedom that you've come to set us free in this whole new life. And as we wrap it up today, we, we move and take some new territory, sum it all up. Uh, God, may this be a time you meet us powerfully by your spirit. Uh, you speak uh, through your word, through your spirit, change our lives, uh, teach us what it means to be part of this movement of passionate Christ followers. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, our story starts today uh, a long time ago. He grew up in this, this town. It was a university town. In fact, at the time, it was one of the, the three largest university towns in, uh, in the empire. And, uh, and so he, he grew up right family, right connections, uh, very bright, smart, uh, passionate, hardworking. And so when he was young, uh, they, he's, he moved to uh, the capital of, the, of, of their, uh, their, kind of their spiritual uh, nation. 
And uh, while he was there, then he, he became educated, went to the finest of schools, uh, educated under the leading profs of his day, kind of tutored by one of the leading profs of his day. And, and so he had success written all over him. And when he graduated, uh, he went into his career choice. And it didn't take him long before he, he rose on the radar of, the, of the, some of the leading spiritual and political leaders of the day. And, and it's just, he, he, was, he was just a man of destiny. I mean, it was just like his future was set and, and his stock was rising and it just looked like he was a surefire bet for, for, to succeed and, and, then, and then it all happened. And in a moment, he lost everything. Today we're, uh, we're continuing this series that uh, we started back in spring and for those of you who are brand new, I really do want to welcome you. We're just so glad you're here. Uh, and I always take like a minute or two at the top of message just to bring you up to speed. So this is a series. It's called Freedom. Uh, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a study of a letter from a man we call the Apostle Paul, who is one of the uh, key leaders in the early movement of Jesus. And, and so he's writing a letter to some new Christ followers, some new converts in the Roman province of Galatia, which is like modern-day Turkey. And, and the theme, the topic of this letter is freedom, that when Christ came, the reason Christ came, lived, and died for us is to set us free. He came to set us free from our past. He came to set us free from, from the judgment, the wrath of God that was upon us as a race for our rebellion against him, committing high treason against the king. He came to set us free from what I like to call old-school religion with rules, rituals, uh, and, and set us free into a new relationship with God. It's very real, very authentic. Uh, it's of sons and daughters of the living king. Uh, he's come to set us free from our dark side, this fallen side of human nature that with its magnetic pull towards that which is destructive, pollutive, uh, addictive. And so, so in this letter, we, we, he's, he's been laying out all these different freedoms that Christ has come to give us. And today, we actually come to the very last message in this series. And today, he's going to do a couple things. First of all, he's going to be summing up some of the message, the core message of this letter. But he's also going to introduce us to one last final freedom that Christ came to give us. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Galatians 6, and we're going to start at verse 11. There's a section there on your note you call freedom, the final chapter. It was great. The next step dessert last night, one of the people were there saying, it was just so cool. I've been, and I came to this church, it's like you said, open your Bibles, it's like, Everyone opened their Bibles. It's like, it was like, I heard pages, you know, I've been, I've been in lukewarm churches my whole life. It's just like, it's so awesome to hear pages turning. I said, I said, yeah, I, I mean, I agree. I said, but the problem is now with all the iPads and iPhones, you know, we're losing, we're here, we're losing some of that. You just kind of just push, you know, it's just like, <laughs> but, uh, anyway, so here we go. Ch uh, chapter six and verse uh, 11. Uh, I, I'm with you. That's what I'd be using. Uh, so uh, we need to like put a beep on them. So we all like beep, beep, you know, we're just saying uh, okay, 6.11. So uh, Paul says, uh, see what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Now, in ancient times, when you'd write a letter, you'd often use a scribe, uh, a, a secretary, an assistant. They were called an amanuensis was their technical term. And, and when, you'd, when you'd write it, you'd, you'd often dictate your letter, and then they would, they would write the letter. And so Paul often wrote his letters that way. Peter would write his letters that way. Many of the apostles in the New Testament 
And so, but at the end of a letter, they would often pick up the pen themselves and sign off because you wanted to make sure this is a for, not a forgery. You want to make sure there's signatures on it. And so, uh, what appears to be happening here is Paul's coming to the end of his letter, and, and so he says he says to his assistant, "Hey, let me take the pen. I'll take it from here." And so, apparently, that his signature, the way he would write, was very large letters. We don't know why, uh, but you know, maybe he had bad eyesight or something. But uh, anyway, so he says in verse eleven. See what large letters I use as I write with my own hand. And so he says, uh, now, those who want to make a good impression outwardly are trying to compel you to be circumcised. And so now what he's doing is he's going back to this, this key topic that was really pivotal in the first three chapters or four chapters. But I, I realize it's been a while since we've been there. And so let me, let me do a quick rewind and kind of remind you how this letter starts. Remember, the letter to Galatians starts because what had happened is the Apostle Paul had got into this new Gentile area, shared the message and movement of Jesus, and people had come to Christ. And so he shared the message that it's through Christ alone, not anything that we do, that we can be made right with God through his cross. So he died in our place on the cross for, for us. And so and it's through that we have a relationship with God only. And so he shared this message, they'd come to Christ. And then after he left, these Jewish teachers that sometimes would follow him, follow him around and try to mess up his ministry, they came in afterwards and they said, you know, that's not quite right. You know, actually, Paul's not a real apostle. He wasn't one of the 12. And he doesn't really have it quite right. He kind of messed up the message. In fact, Paul actually compromises the message. Like when he's with Jews, he says one thing about circumcision in the law. When he's with Gentiles, he says, you can't really trust him. So here's the deal. If you want to be right with God, it's good you believe in Jesus, but you also have to do what, what God's people have always done. You have to follow the Old Testament rules, rituals. Uh, you have to be circumcised, okay? And, th- and if, you want to be, if you want to be saved, that's what you need to do. So basically, you have to convert to Judaism, in order to be saved, all right? So, so Paul starts his letter uh, in chapter 1 and 2. He's defending himself. And he says, look, I really am an apostle. I did meet Jesus. Uh, the message I shared, I didn't make that up. I got it from Jesus himself. And so he's kind of laying this out, all right? So, so that's how the, the, most of the letter is gone. So now at the end of the letter, he's coming back to that topic of circumcision. And he says in verse 12, See, those who want to make a good impression outwardly are trying to compel you to be circumcised. So he wants to talk just for a couple minutes about these false teachers. Now, so of course, they've accused him of false motives, that, that he, he can't be trusted. He says, let me tell you the truth about these false teachers and what's really driving them. And what he's going to say is, you know, the reason they want you to be circumcised and follow the law, it's really not about you. It's not about the truth of God. He says, it's really they have ulterior motives. And he's going to give us two motives. And I want to just, I'm going to give them to you right now and just write them down real quick, and then we'll talk about them. Uh, the first motive is persecution, right? And the second motive is pride. So, so let, me, let me break this down and explain what I mean. What he's going to say is, in the early movement of Jesus, the number one persecutors of the movement of Jesus were the Jewish religious authorities and the conservative elements within Judaism. That, that was the primary persecutors of the early movement of Jesus. And so uh, what, these, what he's going to say is these false teachers, what they want to do is they basically want to convert you to Judaism. Because if they can convert you to Judaism, they can make it look like the movement of Jesus is really just a subset of Judaism. It's just kind of an alternate form of Judaism. And, and if, the, if the spiritual leaders of, of Judaism, if they see it that way, they'll stop persecuting us. Okay? So he says that that's why they want you to be circumcised. It's not because it's the truth. It's because they want to avoid persecution. 
The second reason he's going to say is, is pride. Uh, you, you may have known someone like this. You may have struggled with this. If God ever uses you to lead someone to Christ, or if he leads you to a lot of people to Christ, sometimes we can get proud about that, can't we? It's like, wow, God's used me. I've led four people to Christ. How many of you led to Christ? You know, right? And so this is kind of the way religious people are. We just get proud. So, so anyway, um, so he says, uh, so this is what they want. They want to convert you because they've been sent out by their spiritual leaders, probably by the uh, head, headquarters in Jerusalem, and, and they want to be able to report back that they brought you back in the fold, that you're back in Judaism, you've been circumcised. So they want to they want to they want to boast about your flesh, you know, your circumcision. It's like it's a notch in their belt. It's like they you know that they, they got you back, they converted you, and then that their stock will rise, right? So in their world, they'll rise up in the esteem of their leaders. Are you with me on this kind of follow that works? Okay, so this is what he's going to say. He says, uh, verse 12, those who want to make a good impression outwardly are trying to compel you to be circumcised. But the only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. In other words, if, if the message of the cross means you don't need to be circumcised. And so, you know, that, that was the point of contention. And he says, uh, e- not even those who are circumcised, these spiritual leaders, they don't even obey the law. They're already obeying the law in their own life. It's, it's, they're not trying to get you to obey it because they, they obey it because the they don't even obey it. They just want to avoid persecution. He says, yet they want you to be circumcised so they may boast about your flesh. Okay, so persecution and pride. And then Paul says, hey, for me, verse 14, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Now, very important thing. What Paul is saying is he totally gets these guys. Uh, this, is, this was where he came from in his life. Uh, we started the day with the story of this young man raised in university town, one of the top three in the nation, raised all rights, all the privileges, right connections, moves to Jerusalem. I don't know he pulled it off, but his parents arranged apparently to, to study with the top scholar of the day, uh, a man named Gamaliel. He graduates at the top of his class. He's brilliant. He's zealous. He's passionate. He's hardworking. He, he's, right, he's like a rising star in the whole realm of Judaism. He is rising. His success is, is almost guaranteed, right? And so, and his whole understanding of life was that the way we relate to God is through the law and by keeping the law and by earning our way to be right with God. And, and so you have to be circumcised. And so he was zealous about this. And he saw the movement of Jesus as a, as a, a threat to Judaism. And so that's why he was out persecuting the Christ. So, so where these teachers are coming, he gets this. Like he was, this was his world. This was his world. This is where he was trying to succeed. This is where he was, he was, he was climbing the corporate spiritual ladder. This was his world. Uh, but when Jesus broke into his world, overnight he lost everything. He lost everything, but he's so excited about losing everything because he realizes that this world that he lost, it, it was a lie. It was deceptive. It was, a, it was a culture of death. This religious world, it was a culture of death. And so he says, man, in my life, I, I'm only excited about one thing, man. I'm only going to brag about one thing. And it's not about, it's not about me, and it's not about what I've done, and it's not about circumcision. Not about the, it's about Jesus, because Jesus has set me free from this whole culture of death, this whole old world. Now, here's the thing. We all come from an old world, don't we? We all have an old world before we came to Jesus. It's our world. We all live in a fallen world today. And what we're going to be seeing today is this is the last freedom that Paul wants to talk about, that Jesus has come to set us free from the culture of death that is our culture, 
Okay? And so we're going to talk about that more later. But anyway, so he goes on in verse 15, and he says, look, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. Of course, this is what the false teachers are saying. No, circumcision is your path to God. He says, actually, it doesn't really, I could care less if you're circumcised or not circumcised. He said, what matters is what counts is a new creation. Okay? And so this is what we've been learning through, through, uh, through Galatians is that uh, Christianity, the, the message of Jesus, it's a supernatural journey from beginning to end, right? That, that, that Christianity isn't about what I do, it's about what God does, you know? And so, so what we've been learning is that as a race, we've rebelled against God, we're under his judgment, a uh, Bible called the wrath of God, there's nothing we can do to escape that. Jesus comes to die for us, to rescue us, because there's nothing we can do. But when that happens, and when we trust in Jesus, it opens the door for God's spirit to move into our life and to regenerate us, to, to cause us to be born again, to, to, to come alive. To be, to, it's a supernatural thing that happens in our life. It's a new creation, you see? And so Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, if any person is in Christ, he is a new creation. It's a supernatural work of God. So Paul says what matters isn't rules and rituals and religion like circumcision. What matters is whether you've met Jesus and been born again and, and, and his spirit has come in and transformed you and there's been a new creation in your life. That's what's important. So then he goes on in verse 16, and he says, uh, peace and mercy to all who, who follow this rule, this teaching that he just laid out, and even unto the Israel of God. And so remember back in chapter 3, he said that, that if any person's in Christ, it doesn't matter whether you're Jew or Gentile, because we're all in Christ. And in, in chapter 2 uh, and 3, he talked about how we are uh, at, at, we're Abraham's descendants. Like, it doesn't matter whether you're Jew or Gentile, that when you trust in Christ, who is the seed of Abraham, you become part of the line of Abraham. You're a true Jew, so to speak. And so, so the new Israel is the Israel of God who've, who've come to, to God through relationship with Christ, the seed of Abraham. And so he says, grace and peace, be t- or, uh, uh, peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, even to the Israel of God, this new movement of, of Jesus. Okay, then he says, finally, let no one cause me trouble. Now, of course, that's what these uh, false teachers were doing, right? They were causing him trouble. That They were saying, you're not a true apostle. Your message is messed up. In fact, you don't even have any integrity. You'll change your message based on your audience to be popular. That's their accusation. And so Paul says, let no one cause me any trouble. And basically what he does symbolically, he says he pulls off his robe, his outer garments, so he can see his body. And if you look at the body of the Apostle Paul, it was a mess. It was a mass of scars. From the whippings, the beatings, the stonings, the nights at sea. His body was like a roadmap of suffering in his life. It told the story of a man who refused to compromise the message of the cross regardless of the cost, right? And so what he says is, let no one give me any trouble, cause me any trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. If there is any question about my integrity, if there is any question about whether I change the message to be more popular, if there's any question whether I'm in this to please people, he says, just take a look at my body, and let's go on to the next topic, right? 
And verse 18, he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. And so, of course, this is the message of Galatians from beginning to end. It's the grace of, of God. This is how he starts the letter in chapter 1 and verse 3. He says, grace and mercy be to you in the name of God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. And this is how he ends the letter of grace to you. And why? Because this is the message of, of Galatians, right? That our relationship with God is a gift of grace. It has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with God. It has everything to do with the death of Christ. And that for the Christ follower, we don't just start our journey in, in grace. J- grace is our permanent address, right? Like in, in Romans 5, it, Paul says that we've been, having been justified by grace, we, we, we stand in this place. He says we stand in this place called grace. Like it's our permanent address, if you're a Christ follower, your relationship with God's always based on grace. It's not where you start. It's where it, it, we, we, we come to Christ by grace. We're saved by grace. We're changed by grace. We'll be glorified by grace. It's from grace from beginning to end. It's all a gift. And so he starts his letter with grace. He ends it with grace. And then he ends with the final word. He says, amen, which is the Hebrew word, which uh, has to do with truth. It can be translated a variety of ways, but it can be like, so be it, or may it be so, or it's true. this is the truth. Uh, it's, kind of a, it's kind of a liturgical way of just saying, that's the way it is. You know, that's like, this is the truth about God. And so he says, amen. Okay, so, so he wraps it up. So he comes to the end of this letter. He reaches over to his amanuensis and says, hey, let me, I'll take it from here. Starts writing in his big, his big letters. He kind of summarizes some of the core teaching uh, of the, the, the gospel of Christ. It's not about us, it's about him, about the new creation. And, and then he uh, kind of signs off with some personal notes. But in the process, he makes this one powerful statement in verse 14 about the cross of Christ. And, and he says that, you know, that the only thing I'm going to brag about in my life or boast about is the cross of Christ, through which I have been crucified to the world and the world is crucified to me. And so the question is, like, what does he mean by that? And, and what he's doing is he's introducing us to a new type of freedom. You know, yes, we're free from our past. Yes, we're free from judgment. Yes, we're free from uh, uh, old school religion. Yes, we're free from uh, dark side. But we're also free, Paul's going to say, from this fallen culture that we're all a part of that is anti-God and anti-life. Okay, It leads to, to death. Right? So, so in the time that we have today, we want to unpack this. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus in the midst of a fallen world? And what does it mean to kind of step out of this kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light and to be part of the counterculture of Jesus, this movement of Jesus? So there in your note sheet, you have a section called The Final Freedom, The Call to Counterculture. So let's, let's jump in. Uh, just two principles we're going to use to kind of organize our, our thinking, kind of organize our, our thoughts, kind of unpack what Paul's saying. The, the first statement is a very straightforward one. It's, it's very basic New Testament teaching, but it's core teaching. It's core teaching that I think today sometimes we forget in the movement of Jesus right now in our culture. And it goes like this, that we live in a fallen world. Okay, so that, that as Christ followers, we live in the midst of a, a fallen world or what you might call a fallen culture. And so this is like standard New Testament teaching that this world, and it doesn't really matter what culture, 
It doesn't matter whether it's America, whether it's Iraq, whether it's Brazil. Like, it doesn't really matter which culture it is. It doesn't even matter which culture within our own United States. You know, maybe you come out of a Hispanic culture. You come out of an Asian culture. You come out of a Caucasian. It doesn't even matter that what, what the New Testament says consistently is this world, in all its different shades and forms, this world's culture is anti-God. Right? This world's culture stands against God and his purposes. It's at odds with God. And, and we, as part of it, before we become to Christ, we're actually enemies of, of God. That's what the New Testament teaches. And it's very consistent. And so what it teaches is this culture is anti-God, but it's also, catch this, it's anti-life. Okay? It is a culture of death. In other words, if you pursue the values the priorities, the mindset, the paradigms of this fallen world, it will destroy you, okay? That's the message of the New Testament. And so, for example, there's several passages we could look at because the New Testament's full of these. But the one I want us to look at is my favorite. It's in Ephesians chapter two. It's there on your note sheet. And so let's walk this through. This is very representative of New Testament teaching. Uh, Paul says, as for you, of course, we're talking to Christ's followers, he says, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. So he says, before you came to Jesus, you were spiritually dead. In Romans 5, he puts it even stronger. He says, we were enemies of God. But we, 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 we were anti-God. The, the basically, as far as the human race, we had flipped God off. Okay? And, and I'm using those words carefully and chosen. So no emails. Uh, uh, <laughs> That there is a, a rebellion and a hatred of God that goes to the core. Now, now, we don't see it that way because what we do is we create God in our own image and then we like it. You like it. But, but in the Bible, it says, no, no, no. At the core, that, that we have basically told God to take a flying leap because we want to run our own life. And, and we don't want him to be God. We want to be God. And, and because of our fallen nature, we don't like what he tells us about life. And, and so we want to ignore that. And so, so Paul says, before we come to Christ, we're spiritually dead. Right? And then he goes on and it gets worse. Yeah, you thought it was bad. Right, here we go. He says, as for you, you are dead in your transgressions and sins. You are living in the dark side. He says, in, um, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. Now underline that, the ways of this world. What Paul is telling us is that this fallen world has a way of doing things. It's got a value system that it's opposed to God. It's opposed to life. It's, it's destructive. And he calls it the ways of this world. There's a way this world thinks, perspective, uh, kind of take on life, approach to life. And then he goes on and he says, uh, so in which you used to live when you follow the ways of this world. And catch, here it goes, it gets worse. And the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Now, who is that ruler? Satan, right? And so what he's telling us is the human race that when we rebelled against God so long ago the garden, that we not only did we fall and get broken inside and we have this bent towards evil now, but that we came under the leadership of, of the dark side. We came under the leadership of this, this great enemy and that behind the scenes of culture, and it doesn't matter, Chinese culture, uh, 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 Arab culture, American culture, it doesn't matter, behind the scenes of that culture, the enemy is working in unique ways in every culture to turn that culture away from God and to turn them to the path of destruction, okay? And, and it's organized and it's systematic. In fact, 
in the, in the book of, in the letter of 1 John in chapter 5, he puts this even stronger. He says that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Okay, so this is like standard New Testament teaching. It's a fallen world living in rebellion. And so, uh, so then he goes on and he says, the spirit who's now at work in those who are disobedient, actively at work. Okay, and so, so what the New Testament says then is that Jesus came to set us free from this fallen culture, what I call the culture of death. All right, that, that, that not only free from your dark side, not only free from your judgment, not only free from religion, but free from the culture of death. And so, for example, I want you to take your Bibles and turn back in Galatians to how this letter starts. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 3. It says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. That's how the letter starts, grace. But then it says, verse 4, who gave himself for our sins, right, that he went to the cross, who gave himself our sins. Now, why did he do that? Well, there's a lot of reasons, but look at this one. Who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present what? Evil age. Can we say that together? Evil age. Do you understand the saying? This world and this world is anti-God. It's evil age. That's when Jesus comes back in Revelation chapter 12. It says the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Christ. There has been, with the end of time, this world will, will be uh, uh, brought into submission its, from its rebellion to Christ, okay? So, so what it means is that when you became a follower of Jesus, you switched kingdoms, right? When you, you crossed over the line, and Jesus came to rescue you from this present evil age. Now, the full-on rescue happens when he comes back, turns all wrongs to right. But in the meantime, there is a spiritual rescue that's taken place, where he's rescued from the mindset, the priorities, the values, the power of this fallen, destructive world that's organized against Christ and organized against truth and organized in order to destroy you. Okay, so, so in Colossians chapter 1, Paul will say this. He'll say that, that he, res- he rescued us from this, the domain of darkness and he transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. Colossians after what? You see? You see what I'm so, so Jesus came to rescue us, to give us life. And so, catch it, he didn't just come to set you free from your past or the judgment or your dark side. He came to set you free from this fallen culture that's so destructive. Okay? So, now, number two. The second point, then, is that this is kind of the flip side of that, or the next step, is that so then what happens is Christ calls us, then, to counterculture. That, that as Christ's followers, we, we step out of the kingdom of darkness in the kingdom of light, and we become part of his movement, part of his kingdom, and it's countercultural. In other words, the kingdom of Jesus and its values stand in opposition to the kingdom of this world. And, and so as Christ followers, we're called to be different, not because different is better by nature, but, but different because if we're not different, we're in a culture of death, you see? And so in the past, there's been many times in church history where we've really trivialized this. And we've said as Christians, we should not be worldly. And that means something like, oh, don't wear makeup or don't play cards or don't see movies or don't drink alcohol. We've trivialized this. There is something much bigger going on here. It's a whole mindset. It's a whole perspective. It's a whole way of life, a whole uh, kind of paradigm of life 
that the New Testament's talking about that, that takes in all this. So, so he calls us to this new counterculture. Now I want you to see this. I want you to turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter 12. Now, Joel talked about this passage a few weeks ago, and I want to come back to it to focus on one particular part, this call to the counterculture. And to follow Paul's logic, his teaching, we have to step back and get a big picture view of the book of Romans. So the book of Romans is like an expanded version of the book of Galatians. It's like the full version, you know? So uh, it's same theme. So he starts off in Romans 1 talking about how the human race is under the judgment of God. The Bible's word for that is the wrath of God because of our rebellion of the race and because we didn't want to acknowledge the truth about God that God had revealed to us in our hearts and in, in nature. And so, so we rejected that truth we want, and we make gods in our own image that will let us do what we want to do. Dark side stuff, Okay. And as a judgment of that, then, then God says, okay, you want the dark side? I'll let you have the dark side. So we're told him he lets us go. And so we experience this destruction in our life. But, but he loves us, and so he sent his son to die for us so that we can be made, brought back to him. And we've committed high treason. He takes the penalty for our treason so we can be made right. And so we can come back in relationship, receive his spirit, and be changed from the inside out and have a future with him. And so, so that's the message of Romans, very similar to the message of, of uh, Galatians. Now, in Paul's writings, he often starts his writings, not always, but he often starts his writings with, with major big picture spiritual truth. And then at a certain point in the letter, he starts getting real practical. Okay, you understand the truth now, let's apply it to your life. Much like we do in messages here sometimes. And so uh, in Romans 12 uh, is where he gets practical. Okay, that's, that's where the, the, the book of Romans changes from theoretical to, to practical. And, and in Romans 12, uh, he's going to tell us, uh, here's what it takes for you to experience this new life of freedom that Christ died to give you. And so let's see what he says. And he said, talk about the need to be countercultural. So he says in Romans 12, 1, or 12, 2, rather, he says, uh, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this what? World, okay? So back in Ephesians 2, he talked just about the ways of this world. Now he's changing his language, same topic, the pattern of this world, okay? He says, so he says don't, convert, don't let the world, the culture that you live in, don't let it dictate your values. Don't let it dictate your lifestyle. Don't let it tic, uh, dictate your perspective on life and how you live. He says, don't be conformed to the uh, pattern, the paradigm, the mindset of your culture, you see, if you're going to move in your future, you, you have to resist that natural pull to think like the culture around you. You're going to have to change. And so he says, so don't be conformed. It's interesting. Uh, uh, J.B. Phillips, uh, in his version of the Bible, he translates like this. He paraphrases. He says, do not let the world squeeze you into its own mold. Okay? okay so that's the idea. He says, so, so, uh, so don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed and remember that word, we've talked about this before, is the Greek word metamorpho. It's where we get our word metamorphosis. So it's a process of change that like a, a caterpillar goes through on its way to becoming a butterfly, the tadpole becoming a frog. And so he says that, okay, you've come to Christ now, but, but you need to be transformed. Okay? So it's like you've been born, like you're a caterpillar, you're like a tadpole, 
but, but you need to grow up. You need to be transformed. You need to be metamorphosed. You need to be transformed. Like, like, yes, you're a Christian, but you're not a very smart one yet. You follow this? And, and then he goes on. He's going to put it even more. He says, uh, he says, but be transformed by the renewing of your what? Your mind. So catch this. What he's saying is, you're a Christian, but you're still kind of stupid. You see? You, your mind is still dead, right? So when you become to Christ, the light starts going on. You start seeing reality for the first time, who God is, who you are, who Christ is, why you need him. Lights start going on, okay? So, so your, mind, you, your mind is being renewed. But, but he says to be fully transformed, this process has to continue because when you come to Jesus, you think in so many areas of your life like you used to think. We still think about our finances the same way. We still think about relationships the same way. We still think about sexuality the same way. We still think about uh, uh, science and, and religion the same way. We still think about philosophy the same way. We still think about politics the same way. There, if we're going to become like Jesus, that there's a transformation of our mind that has to take place, a change. And then he goes on. He's, Thank you. But... Uh, he goes on and he says, uh, then, he says, then at that point, after your mind is transformed, he says, then you'll be able to test and approve, I like the word experience, demonstrate, what God's will is. In other words, that when you came to Jesus, he's got a will for your life. And, and front and central in that will is that you become like Jesus. That, that's the most important part of this vision. That he's got a vision for your life to change you, to make you like you were created to be. To restore the life of God, that you would be like God again, like you were created to be. And, and, says, and so he's got a will for your life, and it's good, and it's pleasing, and it's perfect. That's what he says next. He says that which is good and pleasing and perfect. He says, but to experience that will for your life, you've got to be transformed. Your mind has to be changed. You have got to change the way you think. Right? And he says, and you can't be conformed to think like the world thinks because it's a culture of death and it will destroy you. You see? Now, there's another passage in the New Testament where the Apostle Paul takes this thought and he uh, kind of buffs it out, kind of teases it out for us uh, more. So I want you to turn there. It's Ephesians chapter 4. And this is going to get really good now. Ephesians 4. He's going to talk about this transformation of the mind and he's going to go into greater uh, depth. Okay, so Ephesians 4, start verse 17. So I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. Now that's just another way of saying no longer live like the fallen culture, the world. Right? That's just another way of saying that. He says, um, and he says, because it, uh, no longer live as the Gentiles do in the what? What's the next word? Futility of their what? Okay, catch this. And the futility of their thinking. Here's what Paul says. The problem with the human race is that, that we're futile in our thinking. Now, it doesn't really matter what world you come out of. Your world is futile in its thinking if it's apart from Christ. Okay, so, so you're in the partying world. You're going to party hardy. You live for Friday nights. So maybe you can't wait till Friday night. And that's your world. You're going to get drunk. You're going to get high. You're going to have sex. That's your world. Okay, you, Paul says it's futile. It's futile. It's, it leads to death. 
It doesn't lead to life, it leads to death. Uh, uh, you're like high power businessmen, you're making a ton of money, and that's your claim to fame, and that's what you're living for. And you're getting the house on the hill, you get the mansion, the gated community, and, and that's your life, and that's what drives you. It's just futile. Or you can be like the Apostle Paul, you can be really religious. You're gonna rise up the corporate ladder of religion, I'm gonna get really famous, I'm gonna be really popular. He says, it's futile. It, pick a world. Pick a, what's your world? Pick a world. It doesn't matter. Apart from Jesus, the human race is futile, right? We, we look for a way to make sense of life, but it's futile. It leads to emptiness. It leads to death. And then he goes on to talk about this futility of thinking. And so he says, uh, verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding, like the lights got out on the human race, and were separated from the life of God, the life we were created to live. Because of the ignorance that's in them due to the hardening of their hearts. In other words, as a race, we've chosen to turn our back to God. Like, I don't want to know the truth about you. I don't want to know the truth about me. I want to create gods in my own image that will let me do what I want to do. And, and God says, okay, but that's going to lead to a hardening of your heart. As you pursue the dark side, your heart gets harder. You become less and less aware of truth. You, you come to a place like in our culture right now, we can't even make heads or tails of right or wrong anymore. Right? Like, like we're, we're getting like basic things. Like, like we're going to redefine marriage. Like, are you kidding me? You know? Like, like this is forever. You know, we're going to redefine it. Well, what hap- it happens when a culture gets ignorant. It gets darker and darker. To, you can't even make out the basics anymore. Right? And so, so he says, there, there's a problem with this. And so then he goes on and he says, uh, uh, Verse uh, 20, you, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and you were taught in him in accordance with the what? The truth that's in Jesus. And so what did Jesus say? He said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free free, right? So it's truth that sets us free. So he says, this fallen world is futile. They don't get it. What happens when the Holy Spirit comes in your life? He begins turning the light up. You know, it's like you begin seeing for the first time the truth about life. And he says, and as you pursue that life, you're going to be transformed. You're going to be changed. In fact, that's what he says next. Verse 22, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires. These old desires that, that promise us happiness but are really ripping us off, that's deceitful. And he says, and to be made new in the attitude of your what? Your minds. You see this? We're back at Romans 12 too. Now we're going to be transformed by the renewing of your minds. He says, if you're going to move in the freedom God has for you, you have to like pull away from the thinking of the world and you have to turn from that intentionally and you have to embrace the truth that's in Jesus and let it renew your mind. And then he goes on and he says, and put on, verse 24, and to, be, um, to put on the new self created to be like whom? Like God. You see that? That's the whole point. To, to, to recreate you to be like the creator again in true righteousness and holiness. And so, and so what Paul says is this is why Christ has come. He's come to rescue us from this present evil age. And, and Paul said this is what happened in his life. You see, Paul was on the, his world was the religious world. I get this. And you, you follow me when I'm saying there's different worlds out there. Some of you in the entertainment world. Some of you in the business world. Some of you in the construction world. Some of you are in the student world. 
right? There's different worlds, but, but Paul's world was, his form of the world was religious world. And, and Paul, he was on the fast track to success. He thought he had life figured out. And when Jesus busted his life, man, he realized that everything he believed was wrong. Everything you believe about who God is and who he is and how to have relationship with God and what the purpose of life and what success looks like and how you attain success and what it looks like to live the good life. He was all wrong. He was all, it was a lie. It was deception. It was a culture of death. It was a religious culture, but it was the culture of death. Do you understand this? That religion is one of the greatest cultures of death. You see, often we think that when we get religious, we're getting closer to God. Can I tell you something? The more religious you get, the further away from God you get. Do you understand? Like when Jesus came, because, you see, religious people, they think that by something they're doing, they're getting closer to God. When the reality is, the first step closer to God is to realize there is nothing you can do and there's nothing you can be that would ever bring you closer to God on your own. Like we are a fallen race and every attempt just make, to make things better makes things worse. And so Paul's in this religious world. Think of it in the life of Jesus. Think of it. The people who are closest to the kingdom were often the prostitutes and the sinners. You know why? Because they realized they had nothing to offer. The people that were furthest from the kingdom were the religious people because they thought they had a lot to offer and God was lucky to have them on his team. Right? Are you with me in this? Like religion is a lie. It's a lie of Satan. Right? It's a lie of the and so there's the religious world, there's political world, there's all there's all these different worlds. But for Paul, it was the religious world. And that's how he's living his life. And he says, Man, I am so thankful that Jesus blew a hole in my world. Man, he he just he just he just kicked my kicked the doors down. And he just blew the place up. And he did it through the cross. And he, he, he just opened my eyes that this world is a fallen world. And I was part, my religious world, it was a fallen world. Everything I believed, it was a lie. It was deception. It was destroying my life. And he says, and I'm so thankful for the cross of Jesus because it blows down the world. And it reveals the truth about life. And it calls us to a new counterculture. Do you understand? He's, Jesus has come to set you free. But in order to do that, you have to get free of the values of this culture. Right? Because, because if you, have you figured this out? That, that our culture is a culture of sexuality. Do you understand that illicit sexuality is a path to death? It's a culture of death. Our culture is a culture of materialism. Right? That's a culture of death. Our culture is a culture that spiritually believes you can define God any way you want. That's a culture of death. That doesn't lead to life. We, we live in a culture that for the most part believes that this world is just one big accident. Right? It's a random accident. What they often fail to understand is it means you're an accident. I'm an accident. It means there's no purpose in life. It means there's no such thing as right or wrong. It means law of the jungle is the law of the land. And, it's, and if we don't wake up, it's going to be the law of our land, right? Because we're, we're, we're buying the lie. We're buying, it's a culture of death. And so what Paul says is this world and its culture, it's a culture of death. And I am so glad Jesus blew it down in my life through his cross. Amen. Amen. Okay, so... 
So what does this mean? If you're going to follow Jesus and if you're going to be transformed, you are going to have to stand against the values of our culture that are opposed to Jesus and the truth of God. And so what does this look like in your life? You know, I, I, I don't know, but here's what I know. That if you want to be transformed, you're going to have to be countercultural. You see? Because it's countercultural that's the path to life. Now, so we come to the end of this series. And it's a series about freedom. It, it's a series about the freedom that comes to us through the cross of Christ. Through the death, the life, the death, and the resurrection, as Christ followers, we've been made free. We've been made free of our past. We've been made free of our condemnation and guilt. We've been made free of old school religion with its rules and rituals. We've been made free from our dark side that we we don't have to be controlled by it anymore. We've been set free from our fear of death we know it's happening in the next life. And now Paul comes and says, and you've been free, set free from your culture. So live in that freedom. It's the path to life. And as we bring this, this uh, series to an end, today we want to celebrate communion together. Because communion, more than anything else, it is a celebration of the cross of Christ. Right? That through his cross, this freedom has come. And so we're going to be celebrating that together. And if you're a follower of Jesus today, I, I want to challenge just to embrace the freedom during this time. We're going to be taking it around the room. You can pick up the communion. You can go to the front, go to the sides, have a time of prayer. Let me say this. If you're here today, you're a Christ follower, but you've been following the world. You've been conformed to the image. There's an area of your life. You know what it is. You've been conformed, and, you've been, and it's a path to death. That, that You need to repent of that today. You, you, you need to come back to Jesus and say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Please forgive me before you receive communion. Uh, there might be a broken relationship in this room that you're at odds with someone here at our church and you need to go to them and you need to make that right as you, as you take communion. That may, you, may, you may have to deal with your spouse. You may have a fight with your spouse on the way in today and you just need to get apart for a couple minutes and just say, I'm sorry, let's figure this out, I love you, and, and bring that as you take communion, right? So, so you're a follower of Jesus, let's come and celebrate the freedom. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus yet, there is no better way to make the decision to become a follower of Jesus than by taking communion. It's the gospel in, it's the gospel in image form, right? The, the body and the blood of Christ uh, shed for us that, that takes away the wrath of God. It gives us forgiveness and the gift of the Spirit and all good things. And so if you're here today and you've never given your life to Christ, what a great opportunity to come to the communion table and have that conversation with God. Ask Him into your life. Ask Christ in your life, receive his gift of forgiveness, and take communion as a sign of that commitment. If you're here today and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, we are so glad you're here. But I, I would ask you not to take communion yet because communion is really a statement that I believe in Jesus. And, and the Bible warns us there's a judgment that we drink to our lives when, when we take the communion that represents the body and blood of Christ and, and we're not his yet, right? So, so you don't want to, you don't want to, kind of make your situation worse. So what, what, I, what I'd like to do is I... <laughs> yeah. What I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, come to Christ today, right? And receive forgiveness, right? But, but if you say like, 
hey, for whatever reason, no, I'm not there yet. I get that. Sometimes it's a journey, and I love you. I'm glad you're here. I'm just saying just pass on this one. Just pass on this one until you've made that decision, and then it's going to be incredibly meaningful when you give your life to Christ and you receive, okay? And so let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for uh, the cross of Christ. God, we, we, we boast in the cross of Christ. And I, I can't think of a better way to celebrate the end of this series than to just brag about the cross of Christ. It, because it's through the cross that our sins have been forgiven. It's through the cross we've been restored to relationship. It's through the cross we've received the gift of your spirit who changes us from the inside out. It's through the cross that we have the gift of the next life. And it's through the cross we've been crucified to this world, this fallen culture, and set free to live in a whole new counterculture, the movement of Jesus. And so we come today to celebrate the cross. So we thank you for your cross. We thank you for your death. And we pray that you'd meet us now as we come to celebrate with you this meal together, this symbolic meal, this Passover meal, the blood of the Lamb. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Oh, Rocky Peak, your freedom is here. It is here. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And you know the thing that's exciting to me is that over oh, these last nine months, I, God's been doing a work in our church in this series. And, and we're learning to, what it means to listen and to follow the promptings of the Holy Spirit and so the dark side. And, and as we do that, we're going to move into increasing freedom as a church, in your life, in your family, because this is why he's come. He's come to set us free. I hope you can be with us next week. Um, when Jesus was a little boy, uh, he grew up, of course, going to synagogue every week, and, and there was a passage of Scripture that was his favorite passage of Scripture, one of his favorites. They repeated it every week in synagogue. They quoted it. And, and when he grew up and he began to teach, it was this Scripture that his father used in his life to kind of lay out one of the core ingredients, what it means to be a passionate Christ follower. And so next week, we're going to be unpacking that scripture that, that Jesus was so impacted by in his life and became a hallmark of his movement. Isn't that awesome? I'm not going to tell you what it is. <laughs> but until then, uh, may the freedom of Jesus Christ be over your life. And may you walk in freedom. May you not walk in the dark side that leads to the ultimate bondage, but may you walk in freedom. May you know that as a follower of Jesus, you've been forgiven for all crimes committed against the king, past, present, and future, that they were paid for at the cross. There is no more condemnation in your life. If, if you come from a background of legalism, you come from a background of religion, Jesus has come to set you free. May you walk in the freedom of that this week, a freedom of relationship where God is your father, Abba, your papa. May, may you've, if you've been a person who's lived in fear of the final judgment of God because you know that you're followed and you've rebelled, may, may this week a week that you understand that there is no more fear of the future because Christ took the punishment for you. If, if you've been a person in the past who's walked in the dark side, may this week be a week of freedom as you pursue the Holy Spirit and walk on the light side because he came to set you free. And may this be a week where as a church, together, we walk as a counterculture to our culture. That, that, that we experience the movement of Jesus here. That we become part of this countercultural movement that Jesus called the kingdom of God. That he came to set us free. 
because that is the ultimate freedom, the freedom from this present evil age. We've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness. We've been transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. Amen? Amen. Amen. May you walk in freedom this week. God bless you guys. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at The Peak, thanks for listening.